Welcome to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host, and right now I am in Dan Deacon's tour van. Dan, I would love it if you could please describe in some detail this amazing van. Well, it's a, a school bus, a full-size American school bus. Do you guys have school buses like this in Canada? Not like this bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we bought it, I guess, three years ago and converted it to run on... Uh, used cooking oil, like used veggie oil, and uh, gutted it and sort of suited it up like a crappy hippie RV. And uh, I guess that's the best way to describe it. It's like being in a moving log cabin. Thank you. I agree. (laughs) Hello, my name's Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood.
Lincoln, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood. But that's not your real voice. <laughs> oh, he's a pitch of pedal most of the time. Hello, this is Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood. Welcome back to The Interview Show. This is Scott Wood, your host. We opened with Truth Rush from the album America. I've got Dan Deacon here with me. I'd love it, Dan, if you could talk a bit about that track. Truth Rush is probably the song that I started working on the longest ago. I think I started it pre-Bromst, but it just wasn't ready yet. And it's also the one that I kept writing the entire process, like the bass line that Devil and Rice plays didn't get added until two weeks before we finished recording. And just kept trying different vocal parts and vocal arrangements and mixing in different synths. And it's the only track on the record that has any samples on it. Um, and I guess that's the summary that we have there. Awesome. Thank you. The juicy details that everyone's dying to know. I have to ask about your live show because that's pretty much half of what you do, I think. So I would love it if you could describe in your own words what that entails. I'd say the bulk of the performance, the goal is to recontextualize the space and what the role of the audience is as much as possible. And, to, you know, I guess if you want to break it down in like artist statement type terms, uh, I try to always create situations where the audience is thinking about themselves as an individual and as, as a collective and making decisions and choices based upon their, you know, different roles depending on the activity or the theater type scenario that we're doing. That's a very intellectual answer. <laughs> but to someone who goes to a Dan Deacon show, and if you haven't, you really should because it's quite it's quite a thing, and I would love you to describe that part of it. Uh, it's like a crazy mess. It's like if dogs had arms. Nice. Okay. I like that. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just go to a show and you'll have some idea of what I'm talking about. I, I'll say it this way. You are very good at directing a space and the people within the space. Well, thanks. I mean, I, to me, like the audience is the most important part of any performance. If you go to a show and the audience sucks, the show sucks. If you go to a show and the band is, you know, drunk and sloppy and terrible, but the audience is still good, the show rules. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I read that you learned your crowd controlling abilities while being the hype man for a ska band. Is that true? I don't think that's true. I mean, I was in uh, a band like that in high school, but I think the I didn't really have very good crowd controlling abilities then. I think I really cut my teeth with it when I was first starting touring this project in like 2004 and uh you know mainly playing to like empty rooms and shows where it'd be difficult to get people to dance because it was such an uncomfortable environment and I spent so much time like trying to focus on getting audiences to not feel uncomfortable and to level the playing field and to have them not feel any inhibition in, you know, at all. So to let them let loose. And I think that's sort of where that originally grew from. You spent so much of your time doing work that's involving building community, audience, and spectacle. I was hoping to get some more thoughts on that. In what capacity? I try to leave the questions open-ended to make it easier <laughs> to answer because these can become unwieldy topics because it is basically people partying. But at the same time, there's an art to it. Well, I like it to not just be people partying. I like that, you know, there's partying and there's, you know, I don't think escapism is purely evil or purely a distraction, but I think if if recreation is exclusively escapist, it's it's pointless and it's just vapid and it's like candy. I'd rather, you know, I'd like to have that, but also mix it with moments where people can actually take something away from it other than just some Instagram photos. 
Okay, so your record, it's called America. Rolling Stone called it your American opus. What do you call it? I call it America. <laughs> America is such a loaded word. There's American beauty, American psycho, American gigolo. It seems like using the word America in the title is quite a loaded statement. Well, I wanted to pick a title that had, you know, a number of meanings. My last record was called Bromston. It's a word I came up with that would be devoid of meaning or context. So if you heard the word, you'd either have no idea what the person was talking about or you would know it was for this record and you could build the universe around it rather than have any sort of pre-existing connotations. So with America, I wanted the exact opposite. I wanted to pick a word that you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who was like, America, what's that? I'm not familiar with it. So to counter that, it's a word that you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who would have the same feelings or definition of what that word means, you know, depending on if you're in the United States or North America or the Americas in general and Europe. You know, people have a mixture of feelings and emotions and definitions for what the word is. The narrative for this record in the press seems to be hard-living, hard-partying guy, grows up, makes a statement, gets serious. What's your reaction to that? <laughs> I think that's an, a nice soundbite, but I don't know if it's exactly how it goes. I think it's been a bit sort of slower and more organic than that, but I don't think it's completely you know, off base. You've been doing a lot of press for the record, and one of the quotes that I'll pull out is from you. The quote is, we live in a time where you have to give a fuck. So I was hoping you could talk a bit more about that. I didn't realize we could cuss, or I'd been cussing this whole time. <laughs> Just kidding. I feel like a lot of youth culture, you know, like what I'm talking about with, with escapism and music that's made to what I think to distract or to escape from reality is is fine and valid, but we can't have exclusively that. It can't just be turning a blind eye. And I think more and more people are aware of the, you know, exploitation that our culture and our, you know, day-to-day life brings about, like the clothes we wear and the food we eat and the fuel we use. And all of those things come from, you know, all of our comforts come directly from someone else's discomfort. And I feel like largely people are aware of that. But for the most part, people like to pretend that it doesn't exist and it's just far enough out the scope of vision that it's okay or and it's acceptable or it's you know conveniently forgotten that's ultimately what i think the record is me doing to myself is just trying to confront these things like well if i'm so anti-fracking how can i heat my house in the winter do you know what i mean and like how can i be upset if bp is spilling oil in the gulf if i'm driving around the country and flying everywhere that i go what is my role in the situation and if i disagree with that how can i make it so that i can live my life and have my lifestyle without that exploitation on upon something else does that make any sense it makes complete sense thank you for stating that so articulately (laughs) well thank you hello my name is dan deacon and you're listening to the interview show with scott wood
Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood. But that's not your real voice. <laughs> well, I use a pitch pedal most of the time. Hello, this is Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood. Welcome back to The Interview Show. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard Lots Off America by Dan Deacon. I am in Dan Deacon's tour bus right now, and I'd love it if you could say a few words about that track. Lots is a track that I started writing, I don't even remember when, but... Once every couple of months, I'll go through all my files and listen to them and see like what I've forgotten. And Lots was one of those tracks where I was like, what the hell is this? When did I write this? And I started writing the lyrics probably around, I guess, I guess September of last year or August. Started them in August and September of last year. And they started as very Cormac McCarthy road influenced and uh, Occupy started a few days or weeks after that, if I'm correct, I believe. And I became very excited about it. And the chorus of the section is sort of very Occupy influenced. And uh, I was going to change the title, but I really liked the title lots. I don't know why I named the uh, track that. um, I guess because I use a lot of different samplers. Lots. So the record, America, I read that it was inspired by touring. And so many bands hate talking about touring. They hate writing about touring. But you found inspiration in that. So I thought that was kind of nice since most bands spend a lot of time crisscrossing the country or the globe. I mean, no diss to a lot of bands, but I feel like some bands don't do it right. Uh, A lot of bands do it as fast as possible. And we try to take as many drive days off as, you know, we've we've camped in three, you know, national and state parks on this tour. And we also cook all of our own food on the bus and try to do everything as like communally as possible and touring can definitely be rough and grueling like if you don't I think approach it in a way that makes it you know fit your lifestyle because you know hotels are depressing so we try to never stay we've stayed in hotels once on this tour and we've been out since August 29th the food is terrible like if you eat out of gas stations out of restaurants you're sort of at the whim of just you know whatever corporate garbage you can find and it can, you know, it's also draining and exhausting if you just pace yourself on like city after city after city after city. So, I love to travel, and you know, I never really did it that much as a kid. And when I first started doing it, I was like running away from a lot of like, you know, personal problems and issues at home. So it was a nice way to escape and you know see the country and to dive into this you know subculture that I didn't even know existed. And so I have a real, I don't know romantic view towards it cool so what is punk or diy to a guy who's just over 30 (laughs) what do you mean well i was watching this interview with you where you were talking about how definitions of things shift as you get older this is a good question and i wish i didn't have to answer it on the spot i guess when i think of diy i largely i think about you know i work a lot with a large group of people at this point like we have a driver our friend jeff who drives the bus and he's also in charge of getting the grease and he's the mechanic and we have Jeremy, who's the drummer, and he cooks. So while I'm not cooking or doing any of the driving, I still consider this to be a very DIY tour because we're all doing it together. And maybe I have a different mindset towards it because I started out as a solo project and now work with you know different ensembles and amalgamations of crews and stuff like that. But to me, I, I don't know, I guess the idea of punk is is trying to create something that isn't attempting to be mainstream in any capacity. I don't think it even needs to try to defy what the mainstream is, but it just, it's made without, you know, 
commercial goals in mind. And I think that's what DIY and punk ultimately, you know, come to be defined by is something that exists for the love of doing it and for the necessity of doing it outside of, you know, commercial gains. Awesome. Thank you. Why do so many electronic acts and electronic hybrid acts, as they advance in their career, move away from electronics? I think a lot of people use electronics when they first start is because it's they're readily available to them. You know, they ha- already have a computer, and computers are cheap, and the software you can download, and you can get your music out there very quickly and very easily. It's it's difficult to get a good drum sound, but it's easy to get a good drum sample. So as you get more and more, you know, fans and more and more resources behind you, you can expand your timbral palette. And I think a lot of people who are excited about electronic music, are excited about it because of the sounds they can make and the timbres they can create with it. So for me, when I started being able to experiment with acoustic instruments, it opened up like whole volumes or chapters of sound that were previously unavailable to me. The record deals with so many things that you're critical about in America. What's one thing or what's a couple of things that keep you invigorated and positive? I think the DIY is an amazing thing. Just, you know, the fact that there's so many people that devote their lives to creating things almost knowing full well that there's no way they can become the media portrayed image of successful do you know what I mean I think that's an awesome thing and to me that's like the new American dream is just if I can just sustain and make my work and or not even make my work but just to live comfortably and to feel satisfied with what I do. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a growing population that doesn't have that goal of like, I'm going to have that big ass house and I'm going to get the car with the horns. Um, The car with the horns is ultimately everyone's real goal. Cars with horns keep me going. Um, What's, was your question? I got distracted. (laughs) That's good. Something that keeps you going. So car with the horns, you just need to mount them on the bus and you're there. We thought about it. Um, but we'd have to come across them. We wouldn't want to purchase the horns. When was the last time you got something weird stuck in your beard? By me? I'll ask the question again, because that was a weird <laughs> way of saying it. <laughs> What's the strangest thing you've gotten caught in your beard? Probably coins. Like a dime? Yeah, like change. Um, I fell asleep on some floor at a party once, and I woke up and scratched my face and I guess I'd fallen asleep on some change and it had like stuck to my face and in my beard and it sort of fell out and I thought it was pretty funny. At the end of the show, I like to get the guest to pick one of their tracks and talk a little bit about it as I bring up the music. Let's go with Crest Jam. What would you like to know? Anything about the track. I'm going to be bringing it up as we talk. (laughs) Um, Well, this was the first track I wrote after the completion of the Bromps ensemble tour which is the first ensemble tour and it was brutal and hellish and largely miserable it was like logistically infeasible there were 20 people on this bus uh, there was only one bunk uh, the bunks were even closer up because so there's more storage in the back we had we didn't make stage plots we were just idiots about the whole thing it was a logistical nightmare the bus had a worse transmission so we topped out about 45 miles an hour we routed the tour with like hundreds, you know, probably about 400 miles a day between drives. It was one of those terrible tours that I was talking about. The kind of tours that make bands never want to tour again. So right at the end of that tour, 
I started writing Crash Jam. Also, my computer would crash every 15 minutes, uh, so I would try to write something as fast as possible before the computer would crash. And it was my first tour touring with live drummers while playing with them, and it just I became obsessed with drums, and that sort of was where this track grew from. All right, so we're going to listen to Crash Jam by Dan Deacon. Thanks for being on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Sorry I was so uh, boring and uptight. No, articulate band people are great. <laughs> Thanks. Hello, this is Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood. But that's not your real voice. <laughs> well, I use a pitch pedal most of the time. Hello, this is Dan Deacon, and you're listening to The Interview Show with Scott Wood.